Casinos in Space by Howard Berenbaum. Copyright 2019 by Howard Berenbaum slash CyberTimes LLC. All rights reserved. Chapter 18. Where is my human? Morb was one angry green alien. He was furious that his captive had escaped leaving two of his best men down and bleeding on the ground. If those imbeciles lost their lives it was due to their incompetence. They deserved their demise, he thought. T, he called. Assemble a minion. We are going after that big earth thing. We will catch him. He is not built to survive in the wild. Yes, commander. They will be ready in short time. He then bowed as be left Morb's chamber. Morb acknowledged his approval with a salute. I will meet you up and above, he said. Be ready to move out immediately. We do not want the prisoner to get lost or hurt. I would like to use him as a bargaining knickknack with his fellow Earth humans. Martin and Paul prodded their way up and down the trail, with Paul stopping when his knees began to buckle and to prevent a nasty fall. Martin was always many yards ahead of him, but was cautious to keep Paul in sight and had to stop several times to let him catch up. At his last stop, Paul teetered too far and fell down a shallow hill rolling like a bowling ball into a water-filled ditch with a loud splash. Martin was upset that his guide to gambling riches may have been injured. He peeked down the very spot where Paul toppled, and without being careful, he lost his balance, and in seconds, found himself wet next to the water-logged Paul. He was relieved that he wasn't injured, and Paul was alive and unhurt. Maybe, maybe we could find some food here? Paul asked. I'll look for some roots or berries, or maybe carrots or lettuce. They would quickly satisfy my munchies. I would even accept a stalk or two of rhubarb. I am very, very, hungry good sir. I am not a rabbit, Dr. Erickson, Martin said. Go find what you want, but it's not for me. Then he heard a rustling sound coming from the path above. Don't say a word. What? Paul replied. Something or some things are moving down the path. Don't say a thing. Fortunately, the moonlight didn't reach their impromptu swimming hole, and they went unnoticed by the passing posse up above. When the sounds of the soldiers' march diminished to the rustling of the trees in the breeze, Martin assumed it was safe to climb out of the cool pool and continue along the trail. They dripped cold drops of pond water as they cautiously moved up the incline. Martin was out first, and waited as Paul groaned while slipping several times in his struggle to reach the top. He was muddy from head to toe and very unhappy. They walked along the path for several minutes with nothing dangerous ahead and no one following behind. Without warning, Paul just stopped in the path and sat down. He was too weak to walk. I need some sustenance, Mr. Landry. I can't go on. Martin stopped and stared at Paul's round form on the ground and said with a harsh cold tone, Dr. Erickson, we need to go. Get up, now. Paul was scared to his feet by Martin's mean demeanor and forced himself up and followed his commands. They marched down the trail with Paul several yards behind, rushing to keep the pace. With each step Paul emitted squishy sounds from his still-drenched boots. 
He was uncomfortable and hungry, but Martin ignored him except when he'd turn and wave for Paul to keep up. Then Paul saw some bushes with berries at the edge of the path, path and said, Martin, please wait. I need some more food. Martin replied, you don't need to eat now. We need to keep moving. Besides it won't hurt if you lose a few pounds. You are way too overweight. So keep moving, it's good for you. Paul ignored him and proceeded to pick some bright red berries resembling raspberries. He lifted the handful to his nose and sniffed. It had a fragrant, sweet smell, a cross between honey and maple syrup. Martin rushed forward as Paul popped one of those berries into his mouth. No, don't do that Dr. Erickson, he yelled. They could be poisonous. It was too late. Paul started chewing and found the taste mildly tart but enjoyable. Then to satisfy his intense hunger he shoved the whole handful into his mouth and chewed away. No, no, no. That's wrong, Martin cried. If you're sick, who would help me win? That's wrong, Dr. Erickson. Wrong. Wrong. Too late, Marty, Paul said slurring his words. They taste pretty good to me. Martin had a pained look on his face. Dr. Erickson sounded strange, and no one ever called him Marty. That was annoying. Paul was grabbing more berries when Martin caught Paul's shoulder and dragged him away from the berry bush. But Martin failed because Paul stuffed another handful of berries into his mouth and chewed away, once again. Yes, very, very tasty, he said now barely intelligible. Stop eating that, and let's go. You are making yourself ill. Paul now waddled ahead of Martin mumbling something unintelligible while stopping for every large or small rock in his way. When Paul paused, Martin immediately pushed him along. Ouch! Paul would retort. A light rain began, covering the two in a fine mist. But they walked on. Then thunder crackled nearby, jolting Martin's nerves and reminding him of his unpleasant childhood. Paul started slipping as he walked an uphill stretch and then fell hitting his knee on a sharp rock. Oh, no, he said. I am hurt and now in great pain, so I have to stop for just a minute. Martin relented and turned back to check Paul's injury. It's just a flesh wound, he said dispassionately, adding a weak laugh. But Paul didn't notice Martin's attempt at levity and continued concentrating on his painful knee, now throbbing. Let's go, Dr. Erickson. Okay, okay, I'm moving. He forced himself up, slammed his feet into the ground for support, and then followed Martin down the trail, picking up the pace, somewhat. He was no closer to eating, and was discouraged. He had no idea how he could continue, but forged on. Martin was getting tired and hungry, so he slowed their pace, and they stopped to look for food. Paul found some large red berries, similar in shape to the ones he had eaten earlier. He picked several bunches and wrapped them into a large green leaf from a nearby plant and moved to where Martin was collecting blueberries from a red-leafed bush. I'd like to make a sauce from these delicious berries, Paul said, and pour it on top of a juicy ribeye steak. Yummy. That would be nice, but not possible, Dr. Erickson. I can dream, can't I? Dream on, Dr. Erickson, dream on.
they found more berry bushes off the trail, next to a small pond. In the distance, they heard the muffled roar of a crystal-clear waterfall crashing and bubbling into a pool below. Paul and Martin were seated on a small patch of green grass near the pond's edge. Paul opened three large leaves to reveal dozens of berries ready to munch. They had three distinct varieties, a large round blue berry, an odd triangular-shaped red berry and a tubular berry made up of tiny red, green, and purple spheres. Paul grabbed the first bunch of blueberries and munched them down quickly. Then he picked a bunch of the tubular variety and chomped them away. Some red and purple juice flowed down his chin and onto his mud-stained shirt as he reached for the last variety. I have to say they are mighty tasty little gems. Martin reached for some fruit, but instead picked a large worm and dangled it into his mouth. No, Martin. You don't want to eat that bug, do you? But it was too late because Martin chomped at it in two bites, and it was gone. Satisfied that it was safe to eat the fruit since Paul showed no ill effects, he grabbed a handful of red berries and squeezed the juice into his mouth to rinse the bug pieces down. Not bad, he said. You just grossed me out, sir. Paul said, slurring his words. A dragonfly lifted off a dark green lily pad and darted from the edge of the pool hovering silently between Paul and Martin, as if it was eavesdropping on the pair, and landed on a cattail next to Paul. It had a candy apple green trunk with a blue bulbous head, and rainbow-colored translucent wings resembling tiny panes of stained glass. Just moments later, the wings started flapping, and it darted towards the pond, circling back one more time before it landed on the same cattail next to Paul. This time he noticed, and stared at the insect and it appeared to be staring back. Paul took a closer look at the beautiful creature, and then jumped up with a scream. He thought he saw Daniel's face on the head of the bug. What's wrong? Martin asked, sounding intoxicated. You may think I am crazy, sir, but I swear I saw my brother's face on that bug. The dragonfly had not moved, so Martin moved towards it. No, Dr. Erickson, it's just a bug. No human face that I can see. Paul moved closer to take another look, but the insect flew away. He suppressed the thoughts of his brother, and then finished the last of the berries. They were seated on the comfy grass, dizzy and daydreaming as the twin suns reached the tip-top of the waterfall. The orange rays on the pool were now changing to various shades of red. Paul opened his eyes for a moment to catch the transition to dusk. The clouds above were puffy twirls of soft charcoal grays and wisps of orange-red, looking like an abstract watercolor masterpiece. Paul slumped to the grass in a deep intoxication and was snoring loudly. Martin followed, now out like a light and dreaming restless thoughts of his failed childhood. Then from the pond, a dozen dragonflies circled the restless sleepers. One landed on Paul's shoulder while the rest continued to circle. Paul dreamt he was at home on Ward Street in Detroit and racing with his brother to Eight Mile Road. Daniel, no fair, he exclaimed. You beat me again. Sorry, Polly, it's just my advanced skills on this 10-speed. You keep practicing and will race again tomorrow. Paul, now half asleep, opened his eyes and saw Daniel on his shoulder. Actually, it was Daniel's head on the body of the dragonfly. 
He acknowledged his brother with a big grin, and then he blinked. The last time he saw Daniel was in a room at Harper Hospital on his deathbed. Paul started whimpering in his sleep. Polly, are you there? The dragonfly said. Wake up sleepy guy, come on. I'm up, Paul responded. I'm up. Okay, let's go do some gambling, the insect said. Suddenly a swarm of dragonflies approached and attached to Paul's clothing. With little effort, they lifted the hefty body and flew up into the night sky. Then a hundred more insects swarmed around Martin Landry, and he was swept away. Paul found himself sitting at the edge of the boardwalk and gazing at the moonlight over the salty sea. A gust of wind blew a fine spray of ocean water his way along with a strong scent of fishy fish, and suddenly he craved a sashimi roll, one of his favorites. He wasn't sure how he ended up at the far end of the boardwalk, maybe a mile from the nearest casino, but knew his way back and began walking toward the lights. He started out slowly, but his hunger grew so he picked up the pace. By the time he reached the first casino he was famished. It was the MGM Grand Hotel, designed after one of the original casinos on the old Las Vegas Strip. As he entered, he heard someone call his name. He turned around to see it was Martin Landry. Dr. Erickson, please wait for me. Martin hurried next to Paul, breathing heavily. Were you just running, sir? Paul asked. Yes, I was trying to catch up to you, Martin said. Don't you remember our walk on the boardwalk? Not, really, sir. But, if you'd like to join me, join in for a feast. Sure I will. It's like I haven't eaten in a week, Martin said looking puzzled. Their walk to through the casino was enticing. Martin wanted to stop at a table, but Paul was too hungry and ignored his calls. My dear sir, I am in no condition to dally my evening away until I get fed. You know it's been weeks since I sat at a table for a four-course meal. So, gambling can wait. Paul did linger at a Jeopardy quiz show game slot machine, but only for a moment to see if he had guessed the next answer. This looks like fun. We should stop back. A voice sounding like the long-deceased host, Alex Trebek said, sorry, incorrect. The answer is who is Cosmos Disney, the engineer who designed the first free-roaming, free-thinking animatronic robot for the Walt Disney Parks? College students lost out on summer internships, but Disney's profits soared and the stockholders were very happy. Disney is very enjoyable, Paul stated. My parents never took me there, Martin replied. He had a frown on his face. That's disappointing. We even enjoyed those parks as adults. The mach machine spun again with red, green and purple berries flying by. When the animation stopped, an alarm sounded announcing the question. For $2,000, and a chance to enter the final round, in 2010, Dr. Barry Cohen invented what engine that allowed faster-than-light travel? The player mumbled something that Paul did not understand. Correct, said the artificial Alex. You've won. Okay, let's go, Paul said. I can't wait any longer. They left the electronic slots area and found the entrance to the buffet in the rear of the casino. It was a large dining room with many separate booths upholstered in a gray, green, and purple fabric. 
Before they were seated, the hostess motioned to the very important hand sanitizer machine at her podium. Please cup your hands under the blue spigot, gentlemen. It's required. She looked them over and couldn't help notice that their clothing was somewhat soiled. They definitely couldn't pass without a swipe on the sanitizer. Thank you for making this hotel a bit healthier, she said. Now follow me. Will a comfy booth do for you? Why, yes, a booth will be fine, Paul said. However, if you could seat us at a booth close to the carving station, that would be very nice. Certainly, she said, and led them past a table with large skewers of beef and pork across from a table for four. The aroma was calling to them. I can get you drinks, or you can serve yourself. I would like decaffeinated coffee, please, Paul said. What about you, Martin? I will take a Coke, Martin said. Paul was admiring the meats at the carving station when the waitress arrived with their drinks. He chose beef short ribs bathed in cherry red barbecue sauce, with spinach and a side of mashed potatoes and brown gravy. He was eager to start his feast, but had to ask a question. Do you happen to have any horseradish sauce? The chef serving the meat handed Paul a bowl and said, Why, yes we do, sir. He sat down, down ready to start his first real meal in what seemed like weeks, and a gourmet one at that, when he heard a familiar voice calling from the next booth. Hey, Paul, Barry Cohen said. Where have you been hiding? Yeah, Paul. Where have you been? Mark Simonson said from his seat next to Barry. Well, I haven't really been hiding, Paul said. What I mean to say is that I was a prisoner of the green inhabitants, but Martin here helped me escape. He continued eating his meal. Then stood up and walked to the fruit and dessert station not far from their booth. This feast was in its infancy and he planned to let it grow on him. He found a small piece of pecan pie topped with Sanders hot chocolate fudge, a Michigan creation, and placed that on a plate with other sweets. He couldn't wait and grabbed a fork for a bite on the way back to his booth. Let's meet for dinner later, Barry said as Paul returned with a plate of dessert. We'll do we guy, he said with a mouthful of cake. Paul felt something scratching at his feet and put down his fork before peeking under the table. It was Slim Brody again staring right back at him, just the ancient gambler's familiar head attached to the body of a large ant. Lately, this has been Slim's signature. He was probably doing it for the shock value, Paul thought. He wasn't startled, but only annoyed. If only Slim would appear as a normal person with a normal body, he would be happy. It wasn't funny or scary, just boring and unnecessary. Then, Paul said, where's the rest of your body, man? You can't reach the craps table in that Halloween costume, if you plan on helping me and Martin make some money. Well, howdy to you my good little buddy, Slim said. I'll take that friendly criticism under advisement. You ready to make some dough? Paul was getting uncomfortable with his head half under the table gazing at Slim. I'd rather have some cookie dough myself, myself. Got any up your sleeves? Oh, you don't have sleeves over your ant appendages. He moved his head out from under the table and Slim's head followed minus his ant body. It was positioned on the tabletop with a big wide grin between Paul and Martin. Am I in your nightmare? 
Martin asked with a smile. Or is this one of my own? I don't remember anything this strange. Paul ignored Martin as he concentrated on Slim's head. Barry and Mark were leaving and stopped to talk. Barry said, now, don't you forget. But he paused in mid-sentence after seeing the head. Excuse me, but I couldn't help notice a head at your table. And we're headed for the casino, he laughed uncomfortably. No pun intended, Mr. Head. No offense taken, said the head with a big wide grin looking like the Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland. The name's Slim. Slim Brody. Ever hear of me? I'm that card-sharking gambler helping Polly win a little. Martin was staring at the head, shocked at the sight on the table. Excuse me, Dr. Erickson, I don't understand. What is that? That is the disembodied head of my very good gambling ghost and friend. Oh, that friend, Barry added. We just thought you were having a nervous breakdown. Now it's confirmed. He turned to Mark. Right, Mark? Yep, he said with a big grin to match Slim. He has definitely lost it. In fact, I do think we're all out of our minds. Slim is the reason I left the Las Vegas, Paul said. We commandeered a shuttle and landed on Vega 1, ahead of the starship. We're making money together. That's good, good, Mark said. You'll need the extra cash for some long-term therapy, starting as soon as we get home. I know it sounds strange, but it's true, Paul said. I can speak for myself, Polly, Slim said. Then they heard music in the background and Slim started singing, Fly Me to the Moon. Then Barry and Mark joined in, but out of tune. Paul was beginning to feel dizzy. Maybe it was a reaction to the high sugar content of the pecan pie, or the richness of the Sanders hot fudge sauce causing his sugar levels to skyrocket. Maybe his self-indulgence at the dessert station would cause his death, induced by diabetic shock. Regardless, he did not regret the desserts, and if he was to die, he would die happy. He opened his eyes for a moment to see the room with all his friends, real and imaginary, spinning. If only he could grab one more piece of the pie before he checked out. That would be grand, he thought. Then he lost it to unconsciousness. Paul awoke from a restless sleep, not at the MGM Casino Buffet where he enjoyed the best meal he's had in a very long time. Not in the presence of his good buddies Mark and Barry, but on the damp grass with blue skies above and the sound of woodland animals in the distance. He looked around and saw the head of Martin Landry looking back. He blinked, but Martin was still staring. A fleet of dragonflies buzzed by his head and towards the cattails at the lake's edge, their wings sounding a soft C-sharp tone in his ears as they passed. Dr. Erickson, are you okay? You were yelling in your sleep. Oh, oh, hello Martin. Ah, uh, yelling? Paul asked. I don't recall. Except that I remember having had the best roast beef, the creamiest mashed potatoes with rich brown gravy and the most delicious desserts I've had in a very long time. Thought you were with me enjoying? Glad to hear you thought you had, had a good meal. But, you weren't at the casino, and I wasn't with you. It's all a bad dream. And that's one more reason to move quickly down the trail so we can get back to work at the casinos, 
and have some real food. Eating roots and berries is no meal to me. I agree, sir, I agree. Paul stood up and brushed off his clothes, multicolored berry stains were visible on his shirt and pants, and he had a throbbing headache. But it was so real. Martin, Martin handed Paul a collection of roots, leaves and berries. I think you should eat something before we set out again. I doubt you have any lasting nutritional effects of from that dream meal you had last night, Martin said dryly, trying to add some humor to the conversation, but Paul didn't notice. I swear I was there, Paul said. Then he noticed a swarm of dragonflies circling his head. And those bugs flew us there. Sorry to tell you this, Dr. Erickson, but you never left that spot on the grass. It was late morning when they re-entered the path to continue their journey to the boardwalk. Paul had lost some weight, noticeable because his pants were slipping down and he had to tighten his belt. The dream meal he had the night before hadn't helped a bit. Though he knew it couldn't hurt to lose the pounds, he felt underweight. This was a unique opportunity to defeat his mild obesity and fix his diabetes, but he wasn't a willing participant. His weight had been an issue for years among his family and friends. In fact, Barry was the number one advocate for Paul's weight loss, and stated so on numerous occasions. When confronted, Paul politely listened and agreed, but failed to act. But he would add, while many people say they just eat to live, he was living for the enjoyment of eating. That's one of the seven joys of his life, and he restated that on every occasion when some friends and family members would harp on his troubles and struggles. He would say he ate healthy foods in smaller than normal portions. And he wasn't secretly binging when home alone. On occasion, he downed some unhealthy snacks that he couldn't resist, but his dietary failure moments were few. Few. Most recently, after his brother, Daniel, died, his only comfort was to drown his sorrow in brisket and mashed potatoes with gravy. Also, his doctors weren't too concerned because his blood pressure and diabetes were under control. So he had no reason to go on a miserable crash diet. He ate what he wanted and what he liked, and he was happy. So, if being lost on this planet was shrinking his waistline, he would easily fix that problem when he returned to the boardwalk in one of those great casino buffets. It was early afternoon, and they were well on their way down the trail. Martin, now several steps ahead, had wishful thinking thoughts of winning. It was a walking waking daydream of his obsessed gambling desires. He turned back every so often to urge Paul to catch up, but didn't stray too far ahead because he wanted to make sure Paul was with him all the way. He would carry him if he had to, or he would try. Martin, please slow down. You are moving too fast, Paul said. Wait up for me. He was huffing and puffing as he reached Martin's side. How far do you think we have to go? Martin sniffed the air and said, it won't be long. I can smell the sea from here. Though the path was partially shaded with trees and overgrown vegetation, by mid-afternoon, the heat of the day made the air thick and at times, difficult to breathe. They meandered up and down the forest-rimmed trail for a little longer, and then stopped to rest. Even Martin was faltering, so they found a fallen tree next to the path, and sat down like two bumps on a log. I am glad we're taking a break, Martin. I am tired and hungry. 
You're always hungry, Dr. Erickson. But, okay. Let's look for some food, but avoid any very berry appetizers. Do you agree? Paul perked up when he heard the word food. Though they were tasty and the only food we could find, I reluctantly agree. No more berries. And then he said, so, what's for dinner Chef Martin? I would like to see your menu. You're a funny man, Dr. Erickson. He paused. Then maybe we can find some delicious morel mushrooms. I think I can identify, identify them if they're on this planet and in season. Good luck. But, I'd rather eat a rabbit than a radish. On second thought, I could go for a mushroom-stuffed rabbit. Yes, that would be nice. He pictured his wife, Jane, removing a golden-brown roasted duck out of the oven. And it smelled like heaven. Of course, it should be slowly roasted over a medium flame. That sounds right. I think I've had enough of your imaginary food, Martin said. Let's start the search. Paul and Martin stood up to forge for food after their short rest. It was nearing dusk and they needed to act before the yellow-orange light faded. They left the log and moved to some nearby trees, and they were in luck. Martin found some safe-looking light brown mushrooms emerging from the deep black-rich soil at the base of an old rotting tree, and plucked them straight out. Then he spotted a bunch of white-gray mushrooms protruding from the crumbling bark of another tree, and broke them off. He had two handfuls of potentially delicious sides, but now he needed a main course. His Boy Scout training was paying off, though it wasn't a pleasant time in his life. His father was kind enough to take him on those trips to the woods with his troop, but it often ended badly. Half the time his father would wind up drunk, or they would miss the bus to the campsite, and drive to the nearest McDonald's and eat burgers and fries. It was his father's way of saying he was sorry. Martin did like the burgers and fries, and he always split a large chocolate shake with his dad. He really didn't like wandering the woods with this troop anyway because nine times out of ten it was cold and rainy, and his feet would get wet, and then he'd have to go to the bathroom behind a bush. He would rather be eating lunch than marching across a meandering stream in search of vegetables to eat in the wild. But he did learn a lot about survival, and here he was, using skills he thought weren't important. A few steps from his mushroom discovery, he found a meandering stream that seemed to be full of fish. Fish. So, he picked up a nearby rock, and with one quick throw he smashed the purple head of a two-foot-long vertebrate animal with gills and fins. It immediately bobbed to the surface, so he quickly grabbed it before it floated downstream. Dr. Erickson, here's your rabbit, Martin said with a laugh. Okay, it's a fish, but it's protein we need. Hope you like sushi with mushrooms? Paul sniffed the fish. I'll take it, considering that's all we have. Sushi it is. As the twin suns were setting in the west, they finished their seafood and fungi feast. Paul was snoozing with snoring when a strong cold gusty wind, smelling of the salty sea and fishy fish, knocked him off the log, but he caught himself. What? Oh, it's freezing. Excuse me. He yawned. Sorry. You caught me napping after that delicious meal. And I wanted to thank you again, Martin. 
Oh, it stinks around here. You are welcome. But, now that you are awake, I wanted to discuss some topics that are very important to me, now, if you are willing. I am an open book, sir, so go ahead and ask, Paul said. Dr. Erickson, I will just come to the point. Tell me how you have been winning at the casinos? I need to know what to do on my own. I am afraid you will run off. Paul was confused. What should he say? A ghost named Slim was his gambling mentor. That sounds crazy, but it was true. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. I am not a gambler. I don't know much more than you. I have attended some blackjack and craps classes, and know a little. Martin's face turned bright red with rage, and he lunged at Paul gripping his two small hands around Paul's thick neck. Paul was shocked at the attack, and was gasping for air. Martin had a good grip on his neck, and Paul was about to lose consciousness when he grabbed Martin's wrists and pushed, then rolled over, they both fell off the log, Paul now pinning Martin under him. Martin's hands shifted slightly, and Paul was able to get a breath. But, Martin was able to squeeze out from under Paul. Then, Paul pushed up with his arms and legs, and jumped back down on Martin, like the fake wrestlers, Haystacks Calhoun or Killer Brooks, crushing the air from his chest. Martin groaned as his hands flew from Paul's neck. But he was still conscious, and a danger, so Paul cocked his right fist, and pounded it down on Martin's head, then one more punch to the jaw. Martin ceased to move, but he was still breathing. Paul wasted no time. He needed to get as far from Martin Landry as he could. So, he jumped up, brushed himself off and ran down the trail in the moonlight, hoping he was headed towards the boardwalk to meet his wife and friends. He wanted to see Jane, he missed her dearly. And, it couldn't hurt to get some good food and finally take the starship back home. He needed to go home.